But I met Jesus, and, and he invited me to follow him, just like the 12. And I couldn't tell anybody. It seemed over the top. It seemed audacious. seemed unbelievable. But I had a, an awareness, a deep awareness that lasted for years, that I was no less of a disciple than the 12. That the, I had the same program, Jesus walking with those guys in a walking school, teaching them from everything, whether it was good or bad, that I was in the same program, that I was a disciple. And I would even say in my heart, I'm a disciple of Jesus. But I couldn't really say that out loud because most people back then wouldn't have got it. More people now are getting it. But, but everything that happened to me, everything he took me through, every lesson, I, I could turn to him and ask him questions, and he would speak to me. And... Uh, most of the stuff when I hold up these books came out of that period. I had about a five-year period where he downloaded so many things, he never failed to answer a single question. And that's taken the past almost 40 years to write out what he gave me during those first five years. And so uh, one of the things that he was dealing with me a lot about for those five years, um, it just seemed like he wouldn't let up. He was teaching and challenging me and giving me opportunities was on the area of giving. And I thought, I thought it was about money. I thought he was wanting to teach me about money. My whole relationship to money was wrong growing up. And my, the way I was raised with it, my whole understanding, my whole attitude, how I handled money, how I spent money, my un understanding of success, all of that was wrong and needed to be rewritten uh, from a biblical perspective, but also from a kingdom perspective. And, and I, would, I, would, I would submit to that. And he would, he would deal with me about finances. And most of the time, uh, we were working with nothing. We had no money. And so, but we'd be in need of, you know, need of a car, need of a place to live, and, and just so many things. I just seemed like I was facing so many needs and... and uh, uh, I'd go to a conference uh, and give away everything I had. I'd, you know, Heather would give me some money for lunch, and I would pass on the lunch, and just I wanted to get in on the offerings. There was this whole thing. I, I, knew, I knew giving was big, and, but I really thought it had to do with money, and the Lord was training me about money, and I, and I didn't connect the dots for a long time that it wasn't about money. What he was doing was enlarging my capacity for grace. And he called me to be a grace man and called me to be a grace dispenser and the, that I would impact nations and whole people groups through that, through that plumbing, that giving plumbing that he was putting together in my heart and taking a real small pipe and changing it out for a larger pipe incrementally. <clears throat> And in my, my short-sightedness, I, I thought it was, uh, he was just dealing with me about money, but it was all about grace. And uh, I had so many lessons. I, one, one came to my mind. I haven't thought about this in so long, and it, it came to my mind, uh, I think yesterday, of uh, going to a camp meeting. And uh, Heather gave me 20 bucks. And back then, 20 bucks is still a lot of money today, but back then, you could buy a house for 20 bucks, <laughs> uh, practically. 20 bucks was a lot of money for us. 
And especially when you don't have anything. And, you know, that was for gas and food. And she knew I loved to give on, get in on the offerings. And so she gave me 20 bucks. And, and I got to camp meeting. And it was a lot of old people and the old style camp meeting. And, and uh, uh, but there's this young guy that showed up. <clears throat> and I don't know how he got there. I think he hitchhiked. He didn't have, he didn't have very much, but he was on fire. And he, he were about the same age. And I just, I just that Jonathan David connection happened to our hearts. And, and as I was uh, talking with him, I just felt that I needed to give him that 20 bucks. And um, there's something, there's something in, in, you can have koinia, you can have fellowship, but then, then there's something about giving that really changes that, that, that connects hearts. There's something about giving that takes the plumbing that's in my heart and puts it into his heart and vice versa. And I, I just, I reached in my pocket and I thought, well, I don't know how I'm going to get home, and, you know, or any of that stuff. I, I, the Lord will look after me. But I, I'm going to give this to this guy. And so I gave him my 20 bucks. <clears throat> and it, connect, it did something. There, it, it changes the dynamic of the relationship. That's all I can say. It still does to this day. And so that happened. And we had, a, we had a great time. And, you know, God was working with us and dealing with us. So many stories about that period of time. But So it's time to go home. And uh, my, my day comes for, it's made it time to head off. And uh, I, I, I uh, realized I don't have enough gas to get home. And I thought, well, the Lord will provide. And I could picture myself pulling up beside some stream and pouring gas down, put some water into the gas tank and him turn it into gasoline. I, I was just so on fire. I just knew somehow it happened. And I was up for it. And I, I was in for this miracle. I wanted to see how God was going to provide because I didn't have enough gas to get home. And I was, I was doing really good with that, feeling really faith, lots of faith flowing, until the pastor come up to me. And we, we were neighbors. We lived in a little village called Wooler, and he lived on one side of the church. I lived on the other side of the church. And he said, look, I've got to stay for a meeting. Would you take my wife? And he had a newborn baby. He said, would you take my wife and baby back home when you go so I can stay for this meeting? And I said, yes. And then it occurred to me that I've got to... I've got this guy's wife and a, and a baby in my car with no gasoline. And that whole thing of standing, you know, the whole creek thing went out the window. And I pictured trying to explain to him that I didn't, you know, I, just, I would have been so irresponsible. And, but I was committed, and I didn't know what to do, and I'm just saying, Jesus, help me. Help me now. And there was no, no visible means of support in this whole thing. And... and and I remember uh, her getting in the car with the baby and getting them all settled. And, and we pulled down this long, grassy laneway going heading from the camp to the highway. And a campground in my rearview mirror. And I'm thinking, oh, what have I done? I'm in, I'm in, I'm in deep trouble. I'm, Jesus, I need you. And I, in my rearview mirror, I saw this guy break from the crowd and start running alongside my car. And when he said, run alongside my car, and I'm almost to the highway, and I rolled down my window, and he threw something in the car, and I opened it up, and it's a $20 bill. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I still haven't thanked him enough for that. If you go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 
powerful, powerful section of Scripture. And when you read it, um, I, I want to cover it, but he's writing to Greeks in the southern part of Greece about Greeks in the northern part of Greece, Macedonia. They're the, they're the, the Philippians. That's who he's writing about, and he's writing to the Corinthians. And uh, he says, you've heard about what's going on up north in those churches. There's Thessalonica's up there. Philippi is the main first church, biggest church. Uh, he says, you've heard about the grace of God that was bestowed on those churches. Great grace was poured out on those churches. And he's talking to the southern Greeks. He says, you, you've heard what's going on up north. Great grace. He said that in a great trial of, of affliction, uh, that in, in a great trial of, of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. They're givers. Liberality means giving. But they're in deep affliction and deep poverty. But they're, listen now, they're in deep poverty. They're under a lot of affliction. They're under constant persecution. Yet they're givers. He's, you've heard about this. I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing. And that's the key. And that, that phrase and this idea of, of it must come out of your own heart. It must come out of the volition of your heart, own heart. God will not wring it out of you. He will not twist your arm. And when I hear people tell me that God made them give and all that, I don't buy it. I might nod, and I'm, I probably won't even say anything at this stage of my life, but I doubt it. I doubt it. He's a great giver, and he, wants, he just gives, and he wants us to be like him. And Paul says, you know, I, 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 they were freely willing. Uh, I remember Sergio Canales was doing a, teaching on giving down in Argentina, and he told them about sowing and reaping and giving and receiving, and and. People started coming up on the, to the altar and, and emptying their pockets on the stage. And, and people got so excited about giving, they would say, don't stop the meeting. I got more stuff at home. And they would run home and bring in there's televisions and all kinds of stuff on the stage. And the, the church debt was paid off. All kinds of things was taken care of that night because there's this joy of giving. He wasn't milking them for all they're worth. It was this joy of giving. Out of their deep poverty, they gave, and the Lord just turned so many things around. And he said, these people were so impoverished, and yet they're, look at verse 4, they're imploring us with much urgency that we would, re we would receive the, the gift and the koinia, the fellowship of the ministry, ministering to the saints. And not only... Uh, as we hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God, by the pleasure of God. So he urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in, in diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So it's called the grace of giving. But he says, he makes it real clear, verse 8, I, I'm not speaking out of commandment. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm not telling you you have to do this. But I want to test the sincerity of your love 
by the diligence of others. And then he uses Jesus as an example. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he is rich, he made him for our sakes, your sakes, he made himself poor. And through his poverty, uh, you might become rich. Powerful, powerful thing. Verse 10 and 11, he says, you had a desire. I came and we talked about a need in, in Jerusalem. And you had a desire to give a year ago. And so everything he's talking next is about now's the time to act on that desire. And so here's how I understand the grace of giving. And this is something the Lord worked in me as a young disciple. Here's what I understand. I have, I have uh, uh, the nature of Christ in me, and I also have a fallen nature in me. My fallen nature is not a giver. I mean, he'll, get, he'll, he'll give if he can get. He'll, he'll give if he can get applause or a plaque or, or some kind of kudos. Uh, he's, he's a getter. He's a taker. He will exploit. He'll do anything to get. And, and, but the nature of Jesus inside of me, by nature, is a giver. And there's a war between those two all the time. Every time there's an issue, every time there's an opportunity to give, there's a conflict that goes off inside of me between those two things. But that desire to give, if, I, if I'm sensitive and I, and I realize there's this like impulse in me to give, I now understand that's not, that's not just me, that's Jesus in me. And, and his nature is now working in my spirit-filled nature to give. And, and when I follow that, it always leads to miraculous things. It always leads to exciting things. And, but at the same time, no sooner does he give this desire, and it's all through desire, no sooner does that desire come when the, my flesh jumps all over that and gives me 10 reasons why I shouldn't, and, and, or, to, or exploiting the thing, turning around, and that's where the battle begins. But these people, when they heard about the need down in Jerusalem, because they're in a famine, the, their nature, by the Spirit of Christ in them, wanted to give. And it's not something you forget. You actually feel this desire. And he said, now that was about a year ago, and so you had that desire. Now's the time to actually follow through on that. And there's times, I, I, I stood in a widow's house. Uh, she, one of our pastors uh, died in India, and I stood in the widow's house, and uh, she wanted me to pray for her and her kids, and her family was all there. And I, I looked up, and there's no roof on most of the house. And so the rainy season's coming. And I asked about the, through the translator about the roof, and they just they couldn't have a roof. They couldn't get the roof finished. Her husband died. There's no one there to finish the roof. So I had this desire that just came to the fore to put the roof on. By the time I said that and I committed to that and I had that desire, time passed between that time and the time when I had the money to actually pay for the roof. But now there's a test, and it's a testing of my love and it's a testing of my sincerity, whether I'll act on that, on that desire even if it's six months later. And I'm waiting for the money to come in, waiting for the Lord to put it in my hand. And I knew roughly what it was going to cost. And I said, Lord, I'll, I'll pay for that roof. And I'm, and I'm committed. And I told her she could expect it. But then there's this gap. And we lose people in the gap. We lose people in that gap. But there's a gap. And, there, and there's always a gap. But I had this desire 
I'll put that roof on. God, give me the money, and I'll put the roof on. And, and it came out of desire, but there's that gap. And then there's the follow-through. And, and the enemy's all over that and saying, well, you know, do it some other time, and there's other needs, and there's this, and there's that. But I, I, wanted, I wanted to follow through. See, to me now, it's honoring Jesus because I feel that impulse originally comes from him. And that's the whole issue of this letter to the Corinthians. You'll feel desire to do something, to help someone, to, to mow something, to cut something, to rake something, to, to help someone. It's likely it's the Lord who's giving you that desire, especially if it's a beautiful desire and you, 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 you want to do that kind of thing. Uh, I remember, I remember uh, uh, a lady in our church, her husband left her, and, and uh, the grass grew up around her house. It was, it was like wheat. And uh, so many things needed to be done, and she didn't have anybody. He had left her, and she didn't have anyone to do it. And, and I just mentioned it to the young people at a youth meeting one night. I said, would you ever want to go out and just weed whack that and mow that, make that lawn look nice and pick up branches and, you know, that, all, the, all the things that have fallen. And, and they, they got it. That, that desire came forth. And so they said, yes. And then there's that gap. And, and then you got to see who's going to show up when you finally set the date. And uh, the ones who showed up, they said, they were so excited. They said, can we wait in the bushes just so that we can see her face when she comes home? They just wanted to wait in the bushes to see her reaction to a nice mowed lawn. And that's part of the whole desire thing is that you want, to, you want to see what the Lord does in people's lives and hearts. Well, this whole thing with desire, the enemy wants to pour, uh, he wants to pour buckets of cold water on your desire. He does not want you to have a desire to give. And, and because it's not about money anymore. Now listen, notice all the language. Paul doesn't even mention money. He's talking about grace. Because the same plumbing that he works in me, the size of pipe that he builds in me through yieldedness and through, uh, through practice is the same plumbing that he uses for me to prophesy. There's not two sets of plumbing. So if the enemy can crimp my pipe so that I don't give money, and I don't, money just happens to be the most natural medium. And everything starts in the natural and goes to the spirit. If you're not faithful with mammon, how can you be faithful with true riches, spiritual riches? So you start with money, and then he gives you people. You start with money, then he gives you gifts. But it always starts with money. It's just the way it is. It's a principle. It always starts somehow in the natural. And, and it, in my life, I thought, well, it's about money. But it really wasn't. It was about building plumbing inside of me that would allow me to, to do things on a national level or international level that I, I never connected those dots until later. And I said, oh, oh, the reason we can give away buildings, the reason we can give a whole church away is because he put a mechanism of, of giving, conduit of giving in my heart, of grace, but it started with money, but now I'm giving away buildings, church buildings, cars, Mercedes vans, you know, and, and he's using someone who, 
who didn't have two pennies to rub together, but was faithful to give away whatever, whatever I could, whenever I could, and would follow through out of honoring the Lord, would follow through with that desire, even though it cost me, even though there was opposition both within and without. And I would follow through on it, and it built plumbing inside of me for healing to flow. Notice what Peter said at the gate beautiful. He sees the man who had never walked before. So if you've seen someone who's never walked, their legs aren't developed. Their muscles and bones, all of that, don't really develop. And he's there with this cup. They're walking to go to pray, to go to a prayer meeting. And they, they saw each other, and their eyes connected, and the man shook the cup. Peter looked at him, and the, and the man was, realized, okay, I got his attention. If you can get the attention of the person going by, that's, that's huge if you're begging. And that there's eye contact. And, and so he supposed that, Jesus, uh, that Peter would give him something. Peter and John would give him something. Imagine what went off in his heart when Peter got down close enough to his face and he looked at him. He says, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. See, because it's early in his discipleship. He says, but what I have... I give to you, and it's no, no different than if it was giving money because it comes out of the same pipe. It's the same plumbing. So he says, what I have is I have healing, and I can give healing away to you. And he reaches down, takes the man by the hand, pulls him up to his feet, and his legs grow out. Next thing you know, he's running and leaping, going berserk. Well, for Peter, it was no different than it, it, giving is giving. I don't think you can get to a place of giving away healing until you've gotten to a place to give away baser things, lesser things, ordinary things, everyday things. Whatever you have, such as I have, give I thee. See, what he did is he, he just, Peter understood, it's all grace. There's people who want to give away healing, but... But they fumble, and, and it, it's, a, it's a challenge for them to give away baser things. Well, it just means that the struggle and the, the, the lessons are just going to keep coming until you, until you get those pipes enlarged, those pipes built with inside of you. Now, the devil doesn't want you to give anything. He doesn't want you to give away grace. He doesn't want you to give away anything because there's koinia in it. There's fellowship in it. And it pleases the Father according to the will of God. The word will of God and the word pleasure of God is the same word. So he doesn't want God to be pleased. He doesn't want you to enlarge any pipes of giving, any pipes of grace. And so he does not want you to give. And so he works overtime to shut down your ability to give. And, and in my day, it was television preachers who were begging and television preachers who were uh, uh, coercing and manipulating and, and trying to get people to give and, and, and you didn't trust them and you didn't trust their motives and, and uh, there's all kinds of corn with the giving and so there's something that says, you know, I'm just not going to give. You, you kind of a, a resolve in your heart that says, I'm not going to participate in this. I'm not going to be sucked into this. I'm not going to go along with this kind, of, this kind of thing. And there's something that happens that shuts down the grace of giving. In fact, he goes to such length in this chapter and in the next chapter to talk about how the church should handle money, how they should handle that, op that offering 
uh, with two or three people taking it down to Jerusalem and well-known people, people that he trusted. And the reason is he doesn't want to give any reason for the enemy to shut down the grace of giving in that church. So he's saying, here's how we're, here's how we're handling the offering. It keeps, it's, it, it's, a, it's a trust. It keeps the desire up. And the enemy just wants to shut your desire down. He shut my desire down different times. Even in the area of prophecy, where you see prophecy that is manipulative and skewed and, and selfish and carnal, and, and, and that we'll all see those times of prophetic moments. And, and what the enemy hopes is that you'll, you'll just pack it up and say, if that's the way prophecy is, I'm not going to go along. And you begin to despise prophesying. Paul writes to these Christians, he says, despise not prophesying. Even though you've seen the worst side of you, you've seen the underbelly of that thing. It takes something that says, I'm going to still prophesy, even though I've seen carnal prophets. It's, the, it's part of the enemy's game plan to shut down the grace of God in your life. This guy reached out to me, and he didn't go to my church. He was in our community, and I'm not sure how he connected with me now. I don't remember. But I remember, I remember he looked like a lost puppy, and he said, my wife left me for another man. She went, went to work in the factory, and she met another man, and she left me, and he was broken, just broken. And through that, he came to Jesus. I led him to the Lord, and so... He doesn't go to my church because he doesn't live right where we are, and so. but I feel responsible to disciple him, and I want to disciple him. I want him to make it. And so I'm pouring everything. Every day he needs a phone call. Every day he needs his faith is slipping. He feels like quitting. He feels it's a struggle for him. And it's, it's almost impossible for him to believe that his wife would ever come home. And I'm saying you need to, and I'm coaching him on how to stand by faith, not by what you see and not by what you hear. And she's, there's nasty phone calls. And I'm saying you must believe, believe. And, and, and I was up the ante. I said, I don't want her just to come home. I want her to come home saved. Let's hold out. Let's say, Jesus, don't even send her home until she's saved. I want a new, I want a new family. I want a new beginning. And, and uh, I would coach with him and breathe life in. I had to have res resuscitate his heart so many times. And, and the pastor of the church he was going to, he says, forget about her. He says, lots of women here. Take your pick. I said, and I, I'm, I'm saying, no. <laughs> It's not, don't go for somebody else. Let's believe for her. I had faith for it. And one day she cried and through tears she said, I've met Jesus. Can I come home? And they're still together to this day. Yeah. Well, as I was discipling him and he saw that miracle, once you see a miracle like that, you just want to give everything to Jesus. You're so grateful. It's kind of like Acts 2 and Acts 4. All kinds of grace was poured in. Salvation, the baptism of the Spirit was poured in. And what did they do? They shared among themselves. They had everything in common. They made sure every need was met, made sure no one was poor among themselves. There's that, some people call it communism. And you could never make that up. The reason there's that... A uh, story of, of how they gave to each other and had all things in common, shared their food. And, and one guy's saying, I've got land. I'm going to come up and, and lay down my land. I'm a Levite. And he lays down his land. All of that grace of giving came out of a flush of grace. 
And so the, the most natural reflex when God does something in your life, the first thing you want to do is give. And this guy, the first thing he wanted to do was give. He sat down. He was so over the moon with what, what Jesus had done. He sat down. And he said, tell me everything you know about tithing. <laughs> I said, what, 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 what do you want to know? He said, well, how does it work? What, what, what do I do? How do I tithe? I, I want to I tithe now. How do, I do, how do I do this? And so I taught him how to tithe. <laughs> and... He was so excited. He had a great paying job. He'd worked a couple weeks down the Gulf of Mexico on those oil rigs, and made, he made a lot of money. He, I have permission to tell this story, by the way, as well. And uh, he, he made a lot of money, and he just wanted to give. And he was over the top in love with Jesus for what he had done, and he just wanted to give. And, uh, and then, not surprising, I, I didn't see it coming, but now when I look back, I, I re realize how the enemy works. That pastor came to him a month into it, six weeks into it. And he says, it's time for you. The Lord told me to tell you, it's time for you to start tithing to this church. And the man blinked. I remember him coming to tell me the story, and he was just white, ashen. He says, the Lord told me to tell you to you're, you're to start giving. He says, the Lord told you that? He says, yeah, the Lord told me that, to tell you. He says, but the Lord knows I've been giving. He says, no, you don't. He says, Pastor, I, I give. He says, no, you don't. He says, I keep the books. I know who gives and who doesn't give. Your name, there's never a check. There's nothing. He said, Pastor, Pastor, he says, I wanted to give in a way that no one knew, and I always gave cash, and I never wanted a receipt. I didn't want anyone to know because I, I just wanted to give to Jesus, and I didn't want anyone to see it, and I never wanted a receipt. Or, I just wanted to give all. He said, I've been tithing. He said, I've been tithing for weeks, maybe a couple months by that time. But when he came to me and told me that story, I could hardly resuscitate his heart, and he stopped giving I talked to him about it a few years ago. He says, yeah, I never gave after that to anything. And he lost, he lost altitude. Instead of spiraling upward, he started spiraling downward. And I thought, that devil, that devil, use that man, use that moment. Because what, he wanted, what the devil wanted to do is shut down the flow of grace in his life. It's not about money. It's about grace. And stories like that have happened to me, and they've happened to you. And if they haven't, they will. Mark my words, they will. Because the enemy does not want you to be a giver. If you're a giver, you're going to be like Jesus. If you're a giver, you're going to be like the Father. If you're a giver, you're going to be, you're going to bring, be, be, be bringing pleasure to him. You're going, to, you're going to be so useful to him. So he does not want you to give. Because if he can shut down that whole giving the offerings, and the, you won't prophesy. You won't lay hands on the sick. You won't do mission work. 
you will hardly witness. You won't, you won't even extend the grace of all the teaching that you get. You won't give that away and feed somebody else and get a bunch of men around your coffee table and, and teach them or a bunch of ladies to your, to your house. You won't do that because all the grace of God will be crimped. It will shut down in your, in your life. And that's his plan. And he delights in it. The whole concept of tithing, there's, there's different ways you can teach it. There's a way that can teach it that uh, I, I've, I've seen pastors, and a number of pastors here, who want to get their people to give, and they, they say, turn to Malachi. And Malachi is talking about a condition that had happened in Israel where they had been restored to the land. The temple had been started to be rebuilt, but it had stopped. And, and these prophets were coming in and addressing the issues of their heart. And they were building their own houses, but not doing anything with the house of the Lord. And, and so the context is one thing. But that's not the place to begin where you say, you need to tithe. And if you do, God will bless you. And if you don't, he'll curse you. And a lot of people, that's where they want to start teaching tithing. Interesting enough, you can't find the concept of tithing, the teaching of tithing, in the New Testament. It's just not there. There's no, there's no verses that says, as my people, you shall tithe. It's just not there. What's there is, 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 is uh, there's a line, I think it's in, in the next chapter, chapter 9, where, where Paul says, uh, uh, to he's talk about discipline giving where you you give as the Lord has prospered you and you set aside at the first day of the week as the Lord has prospered you the offering that you want to give him and he describes that that, that requires discipline and it's some kind of percentage because it's as the Lord has prospered you so that indicates some kind of percentage here's here's how I come out on this whole thing when I read the Old Testament and I read about tithing, and, and tithing now, listen, was God's idea. He thought, he thought that if everybody gave a percentage of how he blessed them, that they can take care of the priesthood, the tabernacle, all of that would be totally under, underwritten by the volition of the hearts of the people. But because he was dealing with their fallen nature and they weren't born again, he took them and he said, now that, uh, I'm going to use a school teacher to show you that you, I'm going to show you why you should do it, how you should do it, what it's all about. That's what the school teacher does. If you do it, I'll bless you. If you don't, you'll be cursed. And that's how the school teacher works. That's how my school teacher worked. My school teacher would put stars on the, on the wall if I did good and would wrap my knuckles if I didn't do good. Or it'd send me down to the principal and I'd get the strap for, for misbehaving, but I'd get stars if that's how the school teacher works. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's people, listen now, there's people who need the school teacher. And there's stages of our lives that we might need the school teacher. And that's what the Old Testament is. Paul wrote to the uh, Romans and explained the, the reason all that's in that written out that way in the law, it's the school teacher to show you what pleases God. So I know that tithing fundamentally pleases God. It was his idea so that, so that many people can take care of a, a whole religious system that never existed before. It's not left in the hands of two or three wealthy people who pull the strings and get their own way, and, and, and they're the ones who, who dictate the life of the church. You don't want that. 
So the way to do it is we all chip in something, and it, it takes care of the whole thing. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. So I knew from the school teacher that 10% is what pleased him, so I'm not going to give less than 10%. So all these years, we've just been disciplined. We, we get our check, and off the top, the first thing that happens is we tithe because we take pleasure in doing what pleases him. I never have tithed for a second out of a threat of being cursed or the anvils are going to fall out of the sky on my head or my kids are going to get sick or if something happens, uh, one of the kids gets sick, and I turn to my wife, did you, did you tithe this week? I, it's, not, it's not even in my thinking, but it's the way we live, and it's the way we, it's, it's, it's the basis of how we work, but it's not all. We have so much fun in giving and so much excitement around that whole thing that the, the tithing is the, probably the most boring part of the whole thing. When my kids were little, I would, do, I would use the schoolmaster to teach them. I taught them how to work and taught them how to give, and, and I would use the schoolmaster. Like, for example, uh, uh, I gathered them around me, and, and, uh, and I said, you know, if you listen, uh, I'll teach you how to work, and you'll never lack for a job. You'll always have a job. And it turned out they did. They were good workers, and, and people would fight over them. And the local farmer would say, can, can we get your son back? He's the best little worker. And they never lacked for a job. Not, they just never, they always had work. And, and part of it is when I set them down, I said, now, if you, uh, we parted out, you know, different parts around the house that needed to be done. And, and my middle son, Josh, his, his job was to keep the garage clean. And, and so the deal is this. This is how the schoolmaster works. This isn't grace. This is the schoolmaster Schoolmaster says, son, if you keep this garage and you clean it every week, I'll give you a dollar. If you don't, I'll give you a spanking. That's, that's the language of the schoolmaster. And there's periods of our life when we need the schoolmaster. But if you're 18 years old and you're talking to him like that, you're in trouble. <laughs> you, you've built it all wrong. There's a time he should shirk off. He should shed that. He, doesn't, he won't need that schoolmaster motivation. That's just, the, that's just a place, like in the Old Testament, it's just a place to understand what pleases the Father, and that's where you begin. But then you move on. That's why we're in New Testament. We don't need that in the New Testament. We're motivated by the Spirit of Christ within us who's a giver. But I, I remember coming home from a trip, and Josh running out to the car to meet me and, and, and was pulling my tired bones out of the car. And he was so excited. And he, come on, Dad, I want to show you something. And he was trying to pull me out of the car. And, and, and so I get out and I follow him. And he's, he's so excited. And he's looking at my face. And, and he takes me to the garage. And, and, and it wasn't just tidy, clean. It was beyond clean. He organized. He arranged and built shelves and and just knocked it out. And all the time that I'm standing there looking at it, he's looking at my face. And, and I knew he's moved from schoolmaster to wanting to please me. And his pleasure was to please me. And so I just, I, I gave him everything he was looking for. I, I gave him all the expression, all the affirmation, all the words that affirmed that Change that he moved, he graduated from schoolmaster. 
to grace, where he just wanted to do it to please me. He's in there working all week, anticipating my coming home, because he just wanted to bring pleasure to my heart. Well, it does. It really does. I love our church. Our church, all of our churches are grace, grace people. The Wells, a grace church. Delaware, it's just a grace church. They're just, they love to give. Uh, there's so much giving that goes on that I, I, I can hardly keep up with it. And I don't have to organize it. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to tell people to do it. This nice little patio that we're enjoying this week, some guys come up and they said, can we just do it? Can we just, we'll, we'll, we'll plan it and pay for it. Can we just do it? Because they saw how much pleasure people who are at Camp Meeting last year had just sitting out there. They said, we can make this nicer. We can make it bigger. Can we, huh? Can we, huh? And they just did it. It's so satisfying when that, there's no, there's no coercion. There's no, there's no thermometer on the wall. We're a thermometer-free church. Do you know what I mean by that? This tent you're sitting in, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that when I first pitched the need and set down the first $500 and said, who wants to join me? I think it was three minutes the tent was paid for. Because there's a, there's a desire. People just want to, people, the pleasure, the pleasure of seeing you sit under a tent and be moved upon by the Spirit was such a desire that they'd say, well, we want in on this. Even the ones that weren't there, they heard about, can we get on this? I, I had a guy yesterday, he said, oh, I love what's happening up there. Can I get in on this? Who, who do I see that I can get in on it? Just, there's just a desire. It's a, it's a wonderful place to live. It's a freeing place to live. It's a place called grace. And Paul was tapping into it, and he said, now, see that, see that this grace concept gets built in Corinth. He said, they're bound in all kinds of other graces. Make sure they abound in this grace of giving because it's all the same plumbing. It's all the same pipes. Absolutely important. I don't, I don't do it because I have to. I, I do it because I get to. And it's just opened up so many things. L let me just say this. Uh, see if I can communicate it. It's a challenge to say it. But when I decide to go speak at a church... I'm not hearing a voice from the Lord. I, I, when I say, I, I, just give me a minute to pray about it. It's not, it's not that I'm, the Lord says, go speak at that church. It's not that at all. It's that I, I, I feel this desire. I want to. And so I say, I'll come. I'll, I'll come. And, and, and it's hard, it's labor. It's a way, time away from my own church. It's, it's time on the road. And there's, there's a lot of it I don't enjoy. But but when I'm there and I realize we can move that church forward by the grace of God, I get excited about it and I, I choose where to preach by desire. I choose which country to go to. I'm invited to a lot of countries that I, I don't go to because when, I, when I am, I'm invited, I just don't feel that desire. But all of a sudden, I'll, I'll have this rush of desire and I take that now as the Lord. And I follow it. And some young person will come and they say, will you disciple me? And sometimes I, there's just nothing there. And, and I just say, well, let's see what happens. 
and I'll just kind of put them off and see, see if they come back and, and if that desire comes, hits me at another time. But I've learned, I've learned to follow that. That's how I choose which countries, which books to write, which sermons. This sermon came out of a desire. Whether or not to do meetings, this camp meeting came out of a desire. And what I do is I follow that and it leads me into whatever I do. But if, if, if the plumbing got crimped in the whole area of finances, probably none of that would work and we'd be, we'd be back to uh, working on some other kind of scheme or some other plan, some other kind of footing. Maybe become program driven, which we're not. What we are is we find out that we all have this desire to give and, we, and so we say, let's do it. There's enough desire to give for us to say, we're all in. And then, once that happens, the Lord is so pleased with it, he just pours out a blessing on the whole thing, and we all just stand back and grin and just marvel. And we live on the fumes of that for the, for the rest of the year because it's so delicious to our hearts. It's not, for me, it's not hearing from the Lord who I pastor or whether a pastor, if a guy comes and he wants to be part of Word of Grace, what I'm, what I'm gauging, what I'm assessing is that sense of desire to give. That's everything. It changes everything. There are people who want to come to our church. I just don't feel like I could pastor them. I don't feel in my heart. I don't have any desire to be their pastor. And so we just say, find a, you know, keep looking for another church. I don't think this is it. What... What, what is the grid that I use? Well, I think, it's, I think it's Jesus inside of me. But I've cultivated over such a long period of time through, through giving on every level that it's true and it works and it holds and it lasts. And it's deeply, deeply satisfying. Amen? Prophecy. Sweet thing of Prophecy. When you read Paul's letter to the Corinthians and, and he's, uh, he's talking to them about uh, the move of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, tongues and prophecy, notice, notice the whole hinge, the hinge that makes it work or not is, is a desire. Desire spiritual gifts. If, you, if you're, you're going to be zealous for the spiritual gifts, do it. here's a reason for doing it. And, and what he's doing, he's, he's adding a few logs on the fire, but he's starting with desire. And I just keep my, my fire stoked. I just keep logs on my fire. And, and I don't want to ever manipulate that. I don't want anything to wreck that. And Paul just kept that desire, and he, he'd say, now, if you have a desire, you can do it. If you, if you want more of the gifts of spirit, as long as you desire, you can have them. If you have no desire, God's not going to come to you and say, how come you don't want, how come you don't want to speak in tongues and, and grab you by the lapel and, and push, cram that grace down your throat? He'll never do that. That is so far away from his name. That's so far away from who he is. He wants you to want to do it. I've had people say, well, I don't want to speak in tongues. I, well, you, you, you never will. Because it's all, you could. It's, he's not even deciding in your case. He decided 2,000 years ago to pour it out. But if you have no desire, he's not going to impose on you, and I'm not going to impose on you. 
just to get some badge or some another notch. Salvation works the same way. There's people who have their notches on their, on their gospel belt, and they just want, you're just another notch. They just want, they want kudos for having led people to the Lord. But the whole thing is, the sweetest way to do that is through desire. And you stoke their desire to want to be saved. And once they've experienced a little bit of grace, a little bit of healing, man, you can't keep them from being saved. They just want to give everything to Jesus. Desire is huge. Anything that reduces your desire to give, deal with it as if it was an enemy, because it is. 